0: And welcome to the very first episode of What the Dickens, uh, with me, Ian Pringle. Um, So, just need to get this over and done with. The phrase, what the Dickens, has absolutely nothing to do with Dickens, apparently. Uh, According to www.phrases.org.uk, this phrase has nothing to do with Charles Dickens. Dickens is a euphemism, specifically a minced oath, for the word devil, possibly via devilkins. There you have it. Um, Nothing to do with Dickens. But this podcast does have a lot to do with Dickens, or at least his work. Um, We're not going to be talking at length about the life of Dickens. Um, What I will say is that Dickens started his working life as a journalist. So it wouldn't be beyond the realms of imagination that he perhaps, if he was living now, might well be doing a podcast of his own. And... Um, when he first started as a journalist, he used to release sketches um, under a pseudonym uh, to the paper. Um, and after a while, he began to produce uh, the Pickwick Papers. Uh, they were known as a, under a slightly different title back then, um, but they became the Pickwick Papers, which was his fa- his first major publication in the end. So the great thing about releasing things in an episodic way is that I think for him it probably built excitement, built uh, interest from people, and I think it probably allowed more people to access his literature than it would have done had they been released in a book, because I imagine books back then were quite expensive items and your average uh, working family or poor family um, wouldn't have been able to afford that. But they may have got their hands on a newspaper and therefore may have been able to read his books um, on an episodic basis. So that's what we're going to do here. And we're going to start with one of his great works, Great Expectations. Um, How this will work is every episode will be a chapter, unless, of course, the chapters are particularly short, and then we might amalgamate two chapters for those episodes. So normally, episodes will run from between 10 minutes to 30 minutes in length. Okay, here we go. Great Expectations. Chapter 1. My father's family name being Pirip, and my Christian name Philip. My infant tongue could make of both names nothing longer or more explicit than Pip. So I called myself Pip, and came to be called Pip. I give Pirip as my father's family name on the authority of his tombstone, and my sister, Mrs. Joe Gargery. Who married to the blacksmith. As I never saw my father or my mother, and never saw any likeness of either of them, for their days were long before the days of photographs, my first fancies regarding what they were like were unreasonably derived from their tombstones. The shape of the letters on my father's gave me an odd idea that he was a square, stout, dark man with curly black hair From the character and turn of the inscription, also Georgina, wife of the above, I drew a childish conclusion that my mother was freckled and sickly, to five little stone lozenges, each about a foot and a half long, which were arranged in a neat row beside their grave, and were sacred to the memory of five little brothers of mine, who gave up trying to get a living exceedingly early in that universal struggle. I am indebted for a belief I religiously entertained that they had all been born on their backs with their hands in their trousers pockets and had never taken them out of this state of existence. Ours was the marsh country, down by the river, within as the river wound twenty miles of the sea my first most vivid and broad impression of the identity of things seems to me to have been gained on a memorable, raw afternoon towards evening. At such a time, I found out for certain that this bleak place overgrown with nettles was the churchyard, and that Philip Pirrip, late of this parish, and also Georgina, wife of the above, were dead and buried and that Alexander, Bartholomew, Abraham, Tobias, and Roger, infant children of the aforesaid, were also dead and buried, and that the dark, flat wilderness beyond the churchyard, intersected with dykes and mounds and gates, with scattered cattle feeding on it, was the marshes, and that the low, leaden line beyond was the river, and that the distant savage lair from which the wind was rushing was the sea, and that the small bundle of shivers, growing afraid of it all and beginning to cry, was Pip. Hold your noise, cried a terrible voice, as a man started up from among the graves at the side of the church porch. Keep still, you little devil, or I'll cut your throat. A fearful man, all in coarse grey with a great iron on his leg. A man with no hat and with broken shoes, and with an old rag tied around his head. A man who had been soaked in water and smothered in mud, and lamed by stones and cut by flints and stung by nettles and torn by briars. Who limped and shivered and glared and growled, and whose teeth chattered in his head as he seized me by the chin. Oh, don't cut my throat, sir, I pleaded in terror. Pray, don't do it, sir. Tell us your name said the man. Quick! Pip, sir. Once more, said the man, staring at me. Give it mouth. Pip, Pip, sir. Show us where you live, said the man. "Pin out the place. I pointed to where our village lay on the flat inshore among the alder trees and pollards a mile or more from the church. The man, after looking at me for a moment, "'turned me upside down and emptied my pockets. "'There was nothing in them but a piece of bread. "'When the church came to itself, "'for he was so sudden and strong "'that he made it go head over heels before me "'and I saw the steeple under my feet. "'When the church came to itself, I say, "'I was seated on a high tombstone, "'trembling while he ate the bread ravenously. "'You young dog,' said the man, licking his lips, "'what fat cheeks you got. I believe they were fat, though I was at the time undersized for my years and not strong. Darn me if I couldn't 'em," said the man with a threatening shake of his head, and if I ain't half a mind to it. I earnestly expressed my hope that he wouldn't and held tighter to the tombstone on which he had put me, partly to keep myself upon it, partly to keep myself from crying. Now look here, said the man, where's your mother? There, sir, said I. He started, made a short run and stopped, and looked over his shoulder. There, sir, I timidly explained. Also, Georgina, that's my mother. Ow, said he, coming back. And is that your father along your mother? Yes, sir, said I. Him too late of this parish. Ha, he muttered. Then, considering, who do you live with? supposing you kindly let to live, which I hadn't made up my mind about. My sister, sir, Mrs. Joe Gargery, wife of Joe Gargery, the blacksmith, sir. Blacksmith, eh? said he, and looked down at his leg. After darkly looking at his leg and me several times, he came closer to my tombstone, took me "'by both arms and tilted me back "'as far as he could hold me "'so that his eyes looked most powerfully down into mine "'and mine looked most helplessly up into his. "'Now look here,' he said, "'the question being whether you'll be let to live. "'You know what a file is? "'Yes, sir.' "'And you know what wheels is? "'Yes, sir.' "'After each question he tilted me over a little more so as to give me a greater sense of helplessness and danger. You get me a file, he tilted me again, and you get me wheels, he tilted me again. You bring them both to me, he tilted me again, or I'll have your heart and liver out, he tilted me again. I was dreadfully frightened and so giddy that I clung to him with both hands and said, if you were kindly pleased to let me keep upright, sir, perhaps I shouldn't be sick and perhaps I could attend more. He gave me a most tremendous dip and roll so that the church jumped over its own weathercock. Then he held me by the arms in an upright position on top of the stone and went on in these fearful terms. You bring me tomorrow morning early that far and then whittles. You bring the lot to me and that old battery over yonder. You do it and you never dare say a word or dare to make a sign concerning your having seen such a person as me, or any person some ever. and you shall be let to live. You fail, or you go from my words in any particular, no matter how small it is, and your heart and your liver shall be tore out, roasted and ate. Now, I ain't alone as you may think I am. There is a young man id with me, in comparison with which young man... I am an angel. That young man hears the words I speak. That young man has a secret way peculiar to himself of getting at a boy and at his heart and at his liver. It is in vain for a boy to attempt to hide himself from that young man. A boy may lock his door, may be warm in bed, may tuck himself up, may draw the clothes over his head, may make himself comfortable and safe, but that young man will softly creep and creep his way to him and tear him open. I am keeping that young man from arming of you at the present moment, with great difficulty. I find it very hard to hold that young man off of your inside. Now, what do you say? I said that I would get him the file, and I would get him what broken bits of food I could, and I would come to him at the battery early in the morning. Say Lord strike you dead if you don't, said the man. I said so, and he took me down. Now, he pursued, you remember what you've undertook, and you remember that young man, and you get home. Good good night, sir, I faltered. Much o' that, said he, glancing about him over the cold, wet flat. I wish I was a frog or a eel. At the same time, he hugged his shuddering body in both his arms, clasping himself as if to hold himself together, and limped towards the low church wall. As I saw him go, picking his way among the nettles and among the brambles that bound the green mounds, he looked in my young eyes as if he were eluding the hands of the dead people, stretching up cautiously out of their graves to get a twist upon his ankle and pull him in. When he came to the low church wall, He got over it, like a man whose legs were numbed and stiff, and then turned round to look for me. When I saw him turning, I set my face towards home and made the best use of my legs, but presently I looked over my shoulder and saw him going on again towards the river, still hugging himself in both arms and picking his way with his sore feet among the great stones dropped into the marshes here and there for stepping places when the rains were heavy or the tide was in. The marshes were just a long black horizontal line then as I stopped to look after him and the river was just another horizontal line not nearly so broad nor yet so black and the sky was just a row of long angry red lines and dense black lines intermixed. On the edge of the river I could faintly make out the only two black things in all the prospect that seemed to be standing upright. One of these was the beacon by which the sailors steered like an unhooped cask upon a pole, an ugly thing when you were near it, the other, a gibbet, with some chains hanging to it which had once held a pirate. The man was limping on towards this latter, as if he were the pirate come to life, and come down and going back to hook himself up again. It gave me a terrible turn when I thought so, and as I saw the cattle lifting their heads to gaze after him, I wondered whether they thought so too.' I looked all around for the horrible young man and could see no signs of him, but now I was frightened again and ran home without stopping. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed that chapter. If you did and you want to listen to more of these, then I would love to record all of Dickens' work, but I might need a little bit of help. So if you can, and if you can't, don't worry, but if you can, then I do accept donations. If you go to the show notes for this show or any of the others, you'll see there's a link to PayPal and you can just send me a bit of change. Um, I'll have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or even a beer if you're feeling generous and that would be lovely. If you do do that, then please leave me your contact details just so I can say thank you. And also, what I'd like to do is when I've finished this whole book, I'd like to package that up. And if you've donated, then I'll send you the full mp3 so you can have the whole book to yourself completely mastered without these bits so you won't be getting interrupted by me at the end or anything like that and you can listen to that as many times as you want so you'll find the link in the show notes and also if you want to you can go to my website and donate there that's www.ianpringlevoiceover.com forward slash podcasts and you'll find um, the donate button at the bottom thank you goodbye